0: So this is the season um, when, uh, like, more than ever, people travel. Uh, families quite often say, okay, that's it, we're, we're, we're going to leave here because we've got to go to there. Where, where, wherever your there is, we do that. We go on these uh, vacations, and they are quite often road trips. And I thought, well, isn't that funny that this is the way it sort of lines up, the way we've described our process, our, our journey together, our journey. Um, the, the, the overarching plan of what we are doing at Into One is to be on a road trip, that we are going somewhere together. You can join in at any time, but we are going, and the key part of our trip is that we are in earnest pursuit of Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're going, that he would grow our faith, that uh, we would be able to connect with him more wisely, that we would connect with each other in a, in a better way. That's what we are trying to do. And I thought one of the things that we don't, frequently talk about is kind of the why or the, 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 the how, how do you go about getting on this road trip. And so I thought today it would be kind of fun for us to take the Romans road trip. So that's the idea. If, if, you're, in, uh, if, you, if you're unsure yourself or you would like to be able to discuss this with someone else, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? How do I go about doing that? And why would I want to? That is sort of the question. And the beautiful thing about this is you can work this out over time, or you can have a very focused discussion and move through this content very quickly. So I wanted to make sure you had it, uh, a copy of it, so there are the physical notes there and there are the notes online, so you can have those, so you can come back and reference this again, but uh, also on the screen so you can follow along. So the first place that we start is, why would you ever need to? And this is not the only way you can talk about this, but this is just a way. This is the way the Apostle Paul used when he was writing to the people in the city of Rome. Paul had never been to Rome at that point, and he was anticipating a visit to Rome. So to set the visit up with the people in Rome, the Roman church, he said, I want to, I want to let you know who I am, what I think. I want, I want to give you sort of my, my, my thesis, right? And so that's what the, the book, that's what the letter of Romans is it's Paul sending it to the Roman church to say hey I'm coming I want you to be on mission with me as I anticipate going from Rome on to Spain that was his plan I've got a mission I want you to be a stopway on there and I want you to be on board with me I want your support as I go forward so to do that I want to tell you what I think and so here's the way Paul has used to describe the whole Christian kind of thing that he went through and that he is asking other people to go through as well. And so he said the first thing that we have to realize is that there is an issue. Because for many, many people, we, we don't think that there's an issue. And so we uh, we get to there, and we're just gonna take this summary kind of verse. Uh, Romans 3, 23. These are good verses. If you had nothing else to memorize, these would be good verses to memorize. So you could put these in and they tell a whole story. So if you read this, it says, uh, let me let me read it for you so I can I can help to translate it as we go. For all have been selfish. And fall short of the glory of God. For all have been selfish and have messed up, they are not hitting the target. Okay? When, when, when we start to talk to people, and we say, for all of sin, they go, whoa, 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 sin is so full of judgment. I don't want any of that nonsense coming back on me. Who are you to say? What are you, I'm just doing, and we have a real conflict that comes in that time. The word sin is a, it's what, you know, we think of a hyperlink, it's a word that appears on a screen and if you push it, it takes you somewhere else? Well, that's the way the word sin works right now. It has its own definition, but people are not really content with that What Everybody wants to define it themselves. And normally what they say is, you have no right to tell me. So that's why I'm saying, here's the idea. If you don't like the word sin, let's just think of it selfishness. Because almost every sin breaks down into a place of selfishness, where I choose me over you, me over God, me over whatever else. It's my opinion first. It's what I want first. And so it's not hard to believe that we've had those actions. And the problem with that action is that they hold us back. And if, if, you, if you don't want to follow God's law, I can understand that part too. You don't want to submit to God. It doesn't matter what God thinks. But your own law, the own standard that you know that you have set, this is what I will do. We know. You know. You don't hit your own standards. You, you, you don't keep your own uh, promises, to yourself even. And we know this because the biggest joke about New Year's is the New Year's resolutions, and the biggest joke about a New Year's resolution is that no one actually does them, right? That's the habit that we're in. This year was going to be different for three weeks. You know, maybe you got to six, whatever. But we we know that even in those things, we don't hit our own standards. So you might not like the word sin to start off with, but that's the way it is. We have a problem, we don't hit what we're supposed to. And so the target, the mark that we're shooting for, we're aiming at, we fall short of that. We don't measure up to that. There's a problem. And that problem impacts all of our relationships with the people around us and with God as well. So for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's sort of the summary. There it is out on the table, and this is everyone. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter any of those sorts of things. We are all in this same boat. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes on. Uh, We're going to jump to Romans 6, 23. And if you wanted a great one verse to tell the whole kind of gospel story, this is the verse. It's beautiful. If you break it down, sort of a word-by-word kind of thing. It tells you the whole story. For the wages of sin, there we get the sin back again, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, or Christ Jesus our Lord. So wages are things that you get that you have earned, right? You go to work, you are given a wage. So maybe it's a salary, maybe it's an hourly wage. When you go to work, you get paid what you deserve. Well, maybe some of you think you don't deserve what you're getting paid. Maybe you think you deserve more, but the idea is a wage is what you are given based on what you have done. So I go to work, they give me $15. That was my wage. I have done it. I have earned it. For the wages of sin, what you get paid when you sin, what you have earned when you sin is death. Sin has a a a lot bigger of a uh, consequence than we quite often think about. It's not hurt feelings, right? It's not I think you were mean to me. The wage for sin is death. That's what you earn. The other side of that, the gift. A gift is something that you did not earn. A gift is something that you are given. Without earning it. It's, it's grace. It's, it's a joyful kind of thing. I was given this gift. The gift of God. So wages of sin, what we've done, what we have earned. Gift of God. What God freely gives to us us is life. But not just eternal life. Not just life when you die. But an eternal, eternal life that begins now. It's a transformation of the way we think. The way we behave. The way that we live now that continues throughout eternity. So on one side you earned death, the other side you were given a gift of life. And that gift of life comes through Jesus. And we, we, we say Christ, Christ there is the title. It's a title word that means Messiah. Um, so it, it was the the Lord kind of word. So Messiah is the um, more the Hebrew term. Christ is more the Greek term. They kind of mean the same thing. We kind of think of it sometimes as it's Jesus' last name, but it's not. It's his title. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what those words actually mean. So because of his title, he is authorized. He is empowered to do these things. So uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We had a problem with sin. God offers us a gift that can help to remedy that problem. So Romans 5, 8 is next. But God, this is, if you can remember back, if you've been with us for a while, you can remember when we did big butts of the Bible. Remember? Big butts. Um, This is one of the big butts of the Bible. Here was the problem, but God. That's the way I remember all those ones. They're amazing. Here is the problem. In five chapters, Paul builds the problem. This is why it's a big deal. This is the issue. This is huge. How are we going to get over this? But God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And so what you have to take into consideration here also, this is the first century. In the first century, no one had the understanding, no one had the concept that God had anything to do with love. There was no concept like that. And John wrote about it in his gospel. But prior to that, all of the other gods are capricious. They're all, um, you, you, you try to stay under the wire with those gods. You try to pay them off. You do sacrifices. You give these things. You fear the gods because at any point, the gods are fickle. They toy with you. They, they persecute you for their pleasure, for their own ends. There was no concept that God was love It is a Christian concept. It is a New Testament concept. But God demonstrates. He didn't tell us about it. It wasn't just a letter. Hey, you should read the Bible. Boom, because I love you. And if you read it, then you'll know it. God demonstrates. There's a physical thing that happened. He showed us his love. Does God love me? You ever ask yourself that question? Does God love me? The way that you know that God loves you is because God demonstrated his love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, while we were still saying, no way, God, I don't care what you think, I don't care the way you think about it, I will do what I want. Who's in charge? I'm in charge. Whose choices am I going to make? I'm going to make my choices. Who is the one that I'm going to answer to? I'm going to answer to me and to me only. While we were still sinners, while we were still giving the finger to God, while we were still saying, I don't care what you think, while we were still saying, I don't even believe you exist. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that, that, that story just expands, right? God understands how we're separate, understands the problem that the first five chapters told us about. And he says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send my son. It wasn't an accident that Christ died. It was intentional, that God sent his only son, Jesus, to earth. The only way to take care of it was to die, and that's what Jesus agreed to do. Jesus wasn't forced to do it. He chose to do it. His plan also was that he would break down barriers, that he would open doors. But God demonstrates his own love for us. Not just love, love for us, in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And those of you who have ever had a friend who betrayed you, understand what it is to not love another person, right? It just, it just happens. Those of you who have kids, you, you know what it's like regularly when they decide, not now, you. Not now, daddy. And they turn their back on you. And in those moments, this is when love is so clearly displayed because it is unearned. It is not deserved. And we struggle so much in the Christian life with thinking, if I do enough good things, then God will like me. And, 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 if I, and if I dress the right way and I speak the right way and if I read the Bible enough and if I pray enough, if I can just get to enough, I don't know what enough is, but if I can just get to enough, then God, God will like me and it will be okay and I won't have to worry anymore. That's not the way the process works at all. There is nothing that you can do because it was a gift. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. And in that we go, like, I just don't understand what that's like because every relationship I've ever had has been so dependent on my behavior, on my actions, I can make people smile at me. If I do this, then I'll get a good response, and I know how to do that. I know how to respond to people in that way. I know how to let them know that I'm not happy with them. You do something to me that I don't like, and I know how to send you that message. I don't know what it's like to be in that place where no matter what I do, it will not change God's view of me. So the fact that I went to Bible school and that I've been pastoring for more than 20 years, doesn't make God love me more than you. It, it, I get to stand on a stage. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually make me closer to God. We're in the same boat. God loves you the same as he loves me. And he loves you whether you grew up in Canada or whether you grew up in Syria whether you grew up in in Abu Dhabi or you grew up in Dallas, Texas. He's not changing his appraisal of you based on what you've done. And this message is so huge, I think, for people to get because the vast majority of us walk towards God with fear and trembling. He's going to be mad at me. He's just waiting to punish me. God wants to do this, and this is the way so many people talk about God. And, they, and they, they say it like they know, but they don't know Jesus. They know what all the other gods were like, and in that they are right. You are right to be afraid. You're right to be worried. You're right to be concerned. You're right to try and hide away and keep your eyes down. You're right to do those things because at any moment God could do something cruel, wicked, vindictive. But that's not the God that we worship. That's not the God who's been revealed to us in Scripture. From all those different authors writing about their different perspectives from their different time periods, with their different languages, they describe a God that is not like that. Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect physical manifestation of what God the Spirit looks like, what He behaves like, we have seen that. We have read about that. That has been revealed to us. But God demonstrates. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the way I'm going to open it for you. Then I added your your bonus, your bonus verse. If you declare with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Oh, no, this isn't the bonus one. The bonus one is after this. This is the next one. Sorry. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that, he, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not just a matter of saying, I'm going to totally trick God because God has no idea what's going on, right? So, hey, Jesus is Lord, whatever, right? It's not saying the words, but to declare the words as if this is an expression of your heart. An expression of what you believe. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is the, this is the biggest, most central thing. The Bible's 66 books. It's got, depending on what, uh, what version or the, what uh, size of print they put it in, it's got about 1,000 pages. If you read just the Old Testament, it's got 966 commands. The thing that is central is believing that God raised him from the dead. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. So the rest of it, how it all works out, when you believe the earth was created, um, how many animals got onto the the ark with Noah, um, how many days creation took, um, how the whole process works out, the way that you're supposed to talk to each other, everything else is secondary to believing that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the essence of Christianity. The rest of it, we'll be loose with this, but we'll say it's details. Some of them are very important details, but the rest is details. That's the most important thing. You don't have to understand the whole thing to start the the journey. And that's why we love the idea of the road trip, because you're, you're not at the end when you start. So what you don't know is not held against you. You learn as you go we grow as we go. And we're all in the same boat there. So when we go on the road trip, you you, you join the process. And it doesn't matter if you've been doing it for 20 years or if you've been doing it for 20 minutes. We're in the process. It doesn't matter if you started the process and said, you know what, I don't even believe in Jesus. If you start the process, you can join the road trip. And as you go, we're going to keep pointing you to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That is what Truly unites us. That's the essence of our faith. The rest of the arguments are so secondary. And this was such a big deal in the New Testament church. Everywhere they went, that was the message. Jesus rose from the dead. What about what he taught? Jesus rose from the dead. We can talk about the other stuff later. Jesus rose from the dead. That was it. That was the essence. And if you want this thing to become real, that is the part that you have to wrestle with first. The other things are um, kind of summarized by be nice and be good. There is nothing about Christianity that describes someone being nice. Because nice is a constantly changing word. And people use nice to mean what they would like it to mean. We are not called to be nice. We are called to be Christ-like. And there's all kinds of times when people are going to think that that's not very nice. But we weren't supposed to be nice. We're supposed to be loving, which means we're not there to be mean. But somebody else's definition of nice is not what we are held to. We are held to a much higher standard. We are called to be Christ-like. And that love that he showed for us that was demonstrated by giving his own life, well, that's the life that we are called to be living, the life that we will also give up. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the process. That's how you get in. That's how it starts. There's no papers. There's no, there's no sign-up. There's no, there's no questionnaire. It, it, it's a relational thing, and it happens with God the Father through Jesus the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works out. This was the bonus verse. This is the one that came in. Uh, everyone... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So we all have the name of a person that doesn't deserve God's grace, right? You you know that name. (laughs) That one comes up fast because they've earned it, right? And whether it's somebody, a a character in history, the, the one that we all come back to quickly is Hitler. Well, Hitler, how could you... But you know someone who as far as you're concerned they don't deserve the grace of God and thankfully it's not up to you to decide. We tell the truth God handles the transactions. That's the way it works. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, doesn't matter their color of skin, doesn't matter the language that they speak, doesn't matter the other factors. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's just, you know what, that's good news. And that's why we call it The good news, and that's what the word gospel means. The gospel is the good news. The good news is that Jesus came to save us. He died and he rose again and he welcomes us in. That's our good news. Then we go on. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been, and therefore is a big word too. Therefore, again, based on everything we just talked about, based on all that stuff that was before this, therefore... Since we have been justified, and justified is a word, is a legal word, and the legal word means sort of cleared, just as if I never sinned. That's the way we kind of loosely translate that as an understanding word. Justification means just as if I'd never sinned. You have been cleared. The the, the slate has been wiped for you, just as if I had never sinned. Therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been declared righteous, we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the the problem that we started with at the beginning was that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That describes enmity, opposition, um, opposing forces. We are not at peace with God, right? That's the the initial description. That's where we are. But now, because we have been justified by faith, which is the I. Say that Jesus is Lord with my mouth, and I believe that God has raised him from the dead. This is the faith part. We've been justified through faith. We have peace. That enmity, that war with God, that opposition has been silenced, it's been removed. I don't have to worry that God is angry at me. We've been justified through faith. We have peace. With God And peace with God enables the possibility of peace in general. It enables the possibility of peace with those around you. Because the lack of peace with God goes with you everywhere. You can't get away from the lack of peace with God. You can move away from the lack of peace with Aunt Edna. You can just go away and Aunt Edna's not bugging you anymore. But there's no way to get away from that, that sense of opposition from God, But this is the way to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, providing a title. Lord is like a kingship title. Master, the one who's in charge, the one I submit to, the one who's over me, the one whose instructions I follow, the one who gives me the directions that I will live by. That's what Lord means. My King, Jesus, who is the Messiah. That's what Lord Jesus Christ means. That's the story. That's the road trip that we want to take people on that I want you to go on. And in this way, it becomes very, very intellectual. So I need for you to translate this for people because I need you to put in a little bit of your story when you tell this about how you have been changed, how you have been transformed, how he met you and you're not the same as you were before. This makes it sound like it's very intellectual and very theoretical and very theological, but there is real essence to this story and you have the answer to that by what you have experienced. What has God done in you? How has he changed you? How do you live differently now because of this? Are you growing into a display of Jesus? Are you characterized by kindness? Are you known for your love? Your patience? Your gentleness? Your perseverance? Your self-control? Are, are, are these things that you're known for? Because those are called the fruit of the Spirit. Those are things that grow inside of you as the Spirit of God works inside and transforms you. How are you known? And then what I would verses that meant so much to me that I think, just, I think they get tagged on here because they, you need to be reminded of these as well. So I call them further affirmations. Romans 8.1, one of my absolute favorite verses. And it's one of my favorite verses because it means enough to me because it's not something that I needed once and then I forgot about. It's something that I need to be reminded of again and again because when, not if, but when I mess up, I need to be reminded of what my relationship with God looks like. And so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That that lack of peace that you experience with God, that, that, that becomes peace when you are at one with God, it provides this assurance. There is therefore now no condemnation. So when I fall, when I sin, when I fall short, when I am selfish, when I drop the ball, when I miss the mark, when I act unkindly, when I behave unjustly, when I speak poorly, in all of these things, there's not condemnation. There's opportunity for reconciliation. But it's not a matter of God now saying, it's punishment time. I, I, I got to go down and give, and give him such a whooping. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you just have to sit with that one for a while because for me that, that just changes the whole way I can go forward. The last verse I wanted to leave with you today was Romans 8, 38 and 39. And this is one that... Uh, I always found difficult because if, if you just read the words, they kind of just sound like words. This is one that you kind of got to, you kind of got to get into. To say, you got to, you got to let the uh, the emotion build a little bit there. You got to let the the, the the tension rise even a little bit. This is Paul and his declaration is he's understanding. Let me let me tell you all the stuff I believe about what God has done, what the problem is, what God has done to make this. There is therefore no condemnation. And then he goes on. And then he said, because we, we can sometimes feel that we're alone. And this is what Paul wanted us to hear. He wanted the Romans to hear it. But he needed to say it for himself, I think, as well. He said, for I am convinced. Not I think. "It's my opinion. This is a well-educated man who has gone through such a radical shift in his belief that he is one of the number one reasons that we believe that the New Testament church exists that we believe that whatever happens in the New Testament is given historical credibility because Paul is a historical figure who used to be called Saul and his transformation is so radical and so direct and so noticeable and so public. What happened to Saul that made him Paul? Why did he change so much? This is the transformation that God can have in one man's life. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's a hallelujah spot. And here's what I know. As we talk about the faith that we would like To see increase in us? As we talk about what it's like to interact with God on an ongoing basis, I bet that most of you, most of you who have had any interaction with God can find a moment that you can describe as, God met me and answered my prayer. I didn't say he answered every one of your prayers the way you wanted him to but I bet that most of you have a story where you can say, God connected with me. I'm not the same. Because I know in this room there are people who have been healed. I know there are people in this room who have been healed from cancer. I know that there are people who have had relationships come back together. I know that there are people whose addictions have fallen away. I know that there are people who were scared and worried, and God met them, and the worry was put aside. I know that there are people who have had their minds transformed from a mindset that was, it's all going wrong, till I believe and I can have hope. I know there are people who have, in the face of great opposition, believed that God was real and transformed them enough to be able to say, in the face of this great opposition, I can now deal with my opposition and still grow in my faith and not be overwhelmed by it. I know that there are people who have faced hard things, but they have come through them. And what empowered them to come through was the love and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Those are the stories that I know when I look around. I'm trying not to look anybody in the eye because I don't want to tell you that I'm telling your story. In our midst, God has been breaking down barriers and opening doors. He's been changing hearts. He's been giving freedom That is what we declare. That is the message that we want the world to know. That is when we describe this love of God. It's not a theological concept that's distant. That's a bunch of verses in the Bible. It's a life that has been lived, that has been transformed, and there is no other way to explain what has happened to me than by the infusion of the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself in my life and in the lives of the people around me. And that is is something that I want somebody else to know. I don't want them to believe what I believe or to join my religion or even join my church. I want them to know the freedom and the hope that has been released and that has been unleashed for us, the freedom from shame, the freedom from hopelessness, the freedom from feeling alone, the freedom to forgive, to be able to be released from a burden that is not mine, but I'm in it. This is what we want to describe. This is the mission that we want to be on. This is what God has already done in our midst, and it is up to us to make sure that the world may know. Kind Father, I thank you for the way that you have with great kindness. And I think "kind" is a lot more of a powerful word. Than I used to believe it was. Kindness is almost a warfare word. To describe what you would have us to be in this world. That tends to be so unkind. Unfeeling. You have released and unleashed this love of Jesus and this love that you've given to me that is not the way I am by myself. God, I pray for my friends that are here this morning that you will speak into them and through them, that they might hear something for themselves, but that they might be able to speak something for somebody else later on, that we would be together in partnership, working together on this mission that the world may know that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and that opens up the the path to peace with God. Thank you for what you have done for us and in us. Please don't stop. Keep doing these things and give us the boldness to share our stories with, with grace and with kindness in timely ways. But with boldness, may we live unlike what we tend to be like on our own. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. Amen.